My name is Innocent Mugenga, and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast. We all come from somewhere and aim to make a journey through life. Constant change. This is an open-ended exploration of our ability and desire to learn, grow, and adapt. In conversation with inspiring individuals and experts in the fields of sciences, technology, behavior, and performance, we seek to find answers to how to navigate and win in this information age. The future is happening now, and we aspire to evenly distribute the knowledge by empowering your learnability. Let's go. Thank you so much for having me here today. My name is Anushka. My friends all call me Nish, so please call me Nish. Um, I'm from London, born and raised. My um, company is called Nought, as an astronaut. Yes. And I'm um, the founder. The founder of Nought. Yeah. And we're here today at uh, Gather, uh, the Gather conference, where you later on will be speaking. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we can do this with people walking around and still capture your great insights. Yeah. I would like to start off with, um, so we're talking about urban planning. Mm -hmm. The episode's name is We Need Space or Space, mm -hmm. uh, which is why it's great talking to you on that point later. But since you've lived in so many different cities, I would like to get sort of your views of um, urban planning, life in these different cities, uh, social sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm first and foremost, I'm a Londoner born and raised. Yeah. I'm really proud of my, my hometown. Um, and I've had the privilege of being able to um, live pockets of time in various cities around the world, yeah. um, whether that's been traveling for extended trips for like work and conferences or really bedding in for, for a period of time, um, living across New York, Los Angeles, Miami, Germany, particularly the work I've done in the space sector. Um, and it's so interesting because I think LA probably was this the area that when I got there, I was obsessed with being able to walk on the beach and watch the beautiful sunsets over the Pacific Ocean. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but within a few days, I was bored of watching the sun go down. And I think this is this is probably because I grew up as a Londoner. Um, I'm used to always being on. Oh, yeah? I'm used to like the buzz of the city and slowing down and really taking that kind of like West Coast, Cali, like Relaxed. organic living. Yeah, yeah. so different for me. I've had <laughs> friends that stay there. And mm. one thing for them was not having different seasons. Yeah, so I think I've really, as I've got older, I've definitely come to appreciate seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Living in New York, I experienced some of the coldest winters of my life. Um, but that now has made me immune to any winter anywhere else on yeah. the planet. Um, <laughs> it's a piece of cake. It also made me appreciate like the, the structures and systems they had in New York, mm -hmm. where if you had 12 inches of snow, yeah. it was taken away. Like there were, there were, shovels people mm. with shovels that would come and clear your your pathway to your door mm. um i used to get the <laughs> the 114 express bus from new jersey into the city yeah. every morning yeah. and without fail i could do that regardless whether it was sunny raining or full of snow mm. there was no excuse and when i compare that to london you know if we have an inch of snow on the first day of snowfall 
yeah, court shutdown. It's crazy. <laughs> My mother stays, uh, lives in in London, and every time it's snowy, she's like, yeah. Well, Honestly, I guess I'm home today. Or like wet leaves on the train yeah, tracks yeah. mean that in autumn oh, the no. trains are delayed. So, oh, no. you know, we're we're talking about smart cities yeah. and using technology to enable these great systems, but we still can't deal with wet leaves, mm. particularly in in the UK. And I think as cities come more online, um, as data is released, as we become smarter citizens, um, as we hopefully are more mindful with the food that we buy and think about where it's grown and, and hopefully buying things more locally and in season, the impact on the wider world could actually, um, help us now that we're really thinking and tackling about the whole climate, um, crisis yeah yeah you know um <laughs> i'm in the space sector i'm very passionate about our future space missions to going back to the moon and mars and beyond but if we're littering our upper atmosphere with space debris mm-hmm. then actually well, there won't even be a future space and and actually one of the things ignored is that we really care about frontier and innovation in technology because wouldn't it be such a shame if we had all of the best and brightest minds on our planet enabling all these amazing new systems that we need to live and breathe um, in hostile, extreme environments yeah. that are off planet? If we couldn't use that technology to help our planet heal now and really think about the climate crisis and affecting change. My name is Nama Maru. I'm an urban planner and facilitator at House of Sparks at the moment. Yeah where I uh, work with the, uh, within the urban planning realm yeah. with companies uh, to help them how to go from ideas to action oh, yeah. within um, the so- social sustainable urban planning sphere. So let's start off with trying to understand what is urban planning? I would say it depends on who you ask. Yeah. Um, Urban planning per se is a political process. Uh, and in Sweden, the municipalities have something that's called the plan monopoly. Okay. So the municipality has monopoly over uh, planning and zoning. Oh, yeah. So it's that process where you have to <coughs> apply for anything you want to do. And you have to have the full like plan for the, the, the whole uh, uh, project, right? Yeah, so basically it's the municipality, they plan uh, the built environment and the land and the land use. And building companies or property owners, they contact the municipality with their projects Mm. um, as a request. We want to build this. And there are certain things that are prioritized uh, within urban planning, for instance, schools. now, lately, there has been a lot of refugees coming to Sweden. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, refugee camps or wh- whatever you want to call it, um, hospitals mm. and all this infrastructure that keeps the society going. Uh, and also, of course, um, uh, housing. Housing, of course. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> We're a growing population. Yes. How has um, urban planning looked historically throughout uh, Sweden, let's take Sweden as an obvious example, throughout the history, or Stockholm maybe, um, like different focus areas and, and um, yeah, just a history of urban planning. Uh, well, like urban planning before wasn't 
maybe as conscious as it is today. Yeah. Today we try to meet the needs of society. Um, before 1987, the government was um, uh, in charge of the planning. And yeah. then when the planning and uh, zoning act um, changed in 1987, they gave the responsibility to the municipalities. Oh, yeah. Um, whereas today, well, like municipalities across the country work differently. Yeah. Uh, in Stockholm, which is the capital of Sweden, uh, try to work to meet needs and try to work more with how the people want the neighborhoods and the cities to become. There's um some pilot projects going on okay. right now yeah. uh, which is for me very interesting because i've been craving um this approach mm. uh, for a long time uh, where we focus on social sustainability and how do you do that like i'm in, imagining you need some sort of feedback process <clears throat> of getting input from the society is that the main key or what's well, the i think if we um if we see, like for me, urban planning is not only about how we work at the municipality. It is uh, very often about, since I, uh, my favorite question in the world is yeah. social sustainability. Yeah. For me, it's important to incorporate that early in the process. So even before we contact municipality, mm. how can we involve the people in the planning? Uh, because I always try to say, how can we build a city for everyone if everyone is not involved building that city? My yeah. name is Mala, Mala Chakravorty. I am the head of Ericsson One Sweden Hub. Yeah. We have the responsibility uh, for Europe, Middle East, Africa and Russia in terms of scouting and scaling the new growth. That's frankly for Ericsson. Um, I'm one of the three hubs that Ericsson is working with. So between the three of us, meaning us here, mm. based in Stockholm, uh, Beijing and Silicon Valley, we're covering the globe. Wow. So um, how would you describe the mission with these hubs? Oh, my gosh. We have this amazing opportunity to create game changers for Ericsson. Yeah. Um, we're working to unlock the potential of our Entrepreneurs. I don't know if you've heard that word yeah, before. Yeah, yeah it's like a blend that. of a uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, but also our innovators, and to work with um, the ecosystems that we have around us yeah. in order to deliver this mission. And that game changer for us is so tightly coupled to not only the technology but the blueprint of society and cities that are going forward. So oh, yeah. it's just fantastic. So, entrepreneur for those who are not familiar, it's within the company yeah. finding uh, innovation and exactly. making that come to, to life. Exactly. So if I could give you a contrast, I mean, there's a lot of great researchers in yeah. a lot of you know, um, companies, including Ericsson. Oh, yeah. um, we happen to have one of the best uh, research institutions, but it's not the same thing as to investigate something from a research perspective as it is to have the grit and the resourcefulness mm. to go out there and, and test it small scale, oh. fail fast, be humble about the process, rip everything up and try again. Oh, so yeah. we have um, a commercial focus on the innovations as well. Yeah. You know, we're not looking at moonshots. We're really trying to understand what technologies, what solutions, what pain points are we relevant towards and how does that impact um, both the business for Ericsson in the evolution of this company, mm -hmm. but also 
in our role in this new fabric of society. And um, could you give some examples, like how, how has that played out and how might that look? Uh, what type of companies do you have right now? Yeah, I'd love to give you a picture perfect little corporate answer here, but I'm <laughs> going to be super honest. It is fun. It's messy. Oh, yeah. We are working with laws and technologies that were built when, you know, for example, if you want to talk about autonomous vehicles oh, and you're yeah. talking about laws that were built when horses and carriages were around, you know, and it hasn't evolved. So there's all these push and pull that have very little to do with what that little solution looks like. And then on the flip side, there's us as yeah. people, as a company also trying to evolve our capabilities to be able to understand what these technologies unlock mm. and how does it change the lives of citizens? Is that a good change? Is that something someone also is going to commercialize and play? So we find ourselves having to navigate a lot of complexity, mm. a lot of uncertainty. Um, this is always high risk. Everything gets turned on its head. There's no sort of clear relationship anymore between a customer and um, a salesperson. There's ecosystem. Oh, yeah. And you could have multiple roles. In one role of piece of the puzzle, you are the customer, but you're probably also, if it's data, for example, mm. you're generating data mm. in another set. So there's all these nuances that you have to be able to wrap your head around at the same time. So our business modeling and our business casing has a lot of levers to to pull. Wow. Mm. Uh, it sounds really like a, a complex it is. Uh, system it is. to get together. It is. We're here talking about um, urban planning yeah. and, and cities and Ericsson has a big part in that, yeah. uh, rolling out a 5G network yeah. uh, and devices and mm -hmm. really being a part of our day-to-day -day lives. Yeah. How are you innovating for for our lives, basically? Yeah. So there's that first layer you mentioned, 5G. I mean, yeah. we've come into a point in our time where it's not just the phones that talk to each other, yeah. right? We're talking about a, a moment when a car or a bus or a person or a tree can talk to any other object in the city. So really a smart city is a connected city. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But how do you connect a city and how do you handle these enormous volumes of data then that come out of this connection? And then how do you make meaningful insights and relationships that have actual tangible effects? Um, and then how do you facilitate this when it's not just a city, but between cities? If I give you an mm -hmm. example, we've been talking about you know, in video games, we talk about the fact that if you were in wearing VR or something and, and let's say you're playing a shooter game, right? Yeah, yeah. And it maybe you shoot something and we can make the gun or whatever tool you have give you a vibration or something, some sort of haptic feedback, yeah. as we call it, right? Yeah. But now imagine it's not a video game. Imagine it's a surgeon. It's the world's best surgeon, right? It's precision. It's about touch. It's about knowing. And what if your patient is halfway across the world? One, you need to be able to get that haptic feedback or that push-pull to know, am I cutting too deep? Am I cutting too far? But a second's delay could be life or death, right? And that's where something like 5G is not just another network. We're talking about what we call zero latency, which is that imperceptible gap when you're transferring huge amounts of data yes. and insights across huge amounts of distances. So that... Wow is just the start. And then what does that unlock? And what are the things you can do with it? That's super exciting. I think like, <laughs> because I'm not a surgeon, I'm just a no. regular right. human being. So when right. I'm thinking of 5G and IoT, yeah. I'm thinking, thinking of about, phone. yeah, exactly. My phone sure. or my fridge being smart yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 
But you have these uh, yeah. life critical moments yeah. as well. Yeah. There's a lot of responsibility, Absolutely. I'm guessing, in, in uh, Absolutely. making sure our innovation assures we can do this. Yes. So what is social uh, social sustainability? What's the goal? And what are maybe the problems we're seeing within this area today? I think, well, first and foremost, like the f- most important thing to say is that there is no such thing as a universal solution no. uh, for every area or project, mm. um, which would have been amazing. And that would have solved a lot of problems we have today. Oh, yeah. Logistically. But, yeah, saying, yeah, exactly. Um, but social sustainability for me is about somehow having the best interest of the citizens and the people. And we can't forget that those planning the city are also the people, Mm. but there is a gap between me being someone that works at a municipality and me being Namo after five o'clock. Oh yeah. Because I forget about how it is to be a regular citizen. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I get so I get that there's some bias involved. Maybe there could mm, be some bias involved in the process of planning. Yeah, and it is, and that's the problem. See, every workplace I've been at is very much the same people working. Yeah. Quite uh, homogenous. Yeah, it's white working places, yeah. which is the case at a lot of uh, uh, in a lot of sectors. But when we speak about building cities, yeah, again, if I can't feel represented by someone that works at the city that knows how I think, yeah. what I have, like what my needs are, how can we match that in the built environment? Oh yeah. So I believe that first and foremost, we need a bigger representation within the company. Yeah. And that is a long process. It's going to take a long time. <clears throat> But what we can do in the meantime is working uh, innovative. Yeah. So yeah. we can take in experts. Uh, we can take in reference groups. Oh, we yeah. can take in people that are not represented at the workplace. But we know, for instance, if we built... Uh, Housing in Husby, mm-hmm. okay. which is a suburb here in Stockholm. Yeah, which yeah. is a suburb in Stockholm, which have a large immigrant and second generation, whatever you want to call it, yeah. population. How can we understand what they need? Uh, how can we not copy paste mm. everything that we do and place it there? Oh yeah. And uh, for me, that that is like we can work innovative through failing fast yeah and trying things out because we need to try to be able to know if it works i really like that so that's why you're really excited about these pilot projects smaller pilot projects where you try out because i'm guessing there must be a big difference between theory so you're sitting at the office you're having theories of how this planning might play out and what actually happens in practice. Mm. So the faster you can try this out, the faster we can come to greater solutions. And then we also have the gap with the politicians and the policymakers, the people that work at the municipality and the people. So there's like several layers of things that we need to solve somehow. Because it is at the end of the day, the politicians who decide yeah. what's going to happen, yeah. 
how we're going to use the land. Uh, and what I meant with early in the process, I would love for more companies to try this out early in the process mm-hmm. because what they don't realize is maybe it doesn't have to cost a lot. It doesn't have to be expensive because no. we try it out fast and uh, many times. Oh, yeah. So if we collect a lot of people that are uh, different mm-hmm. in a room, mm-hmm. To create ideas, we know that, okay, these people maybe don't speak the same language. Mm. So we might fail a lot. Oh, yeah. But it is within these groups where we can come to those breakthrough ideas that will change the world. Or like we need to change how we plan. Imagine that the definition of a city wasn't limited to a geography. Mm. Imagine that you or your child could go to school and learn from anyone, Mm. anywhere. Mm. That it wasn't defined by the walls of your classroom because technology was able to deliver you whatever education you needed in the remotest parts. And this might be a no-brainer for those of us who live in actual cities, Mm. but just imagine now places that aren't cities, Mm. places that aren't even maybe a cluster certainly have access to London in this remote, remote place anywhere, frankly, whether it's up north in Sweden or Mm. whether it's further south in in India or somewhere in China, or if you're on the train or the bus, you don't have to look about east or west for that. And you break these barriers and you melt them down. It's about going to the doctor Mm. and not being worried about what hospital is in your city. It's about making sure that if you're having a heart attack heart attack up in North Sweden yeah. or if you need blood donations in Sahara, there's a drone that's coming for you and it's coming for you in time. Mm. And it's this connectivity based off of not necessarily expanding or changing the way we live, but connecting it to a larger pulse. Mm. So you're sort of removing the physical yeah. boundaries. Yeah. And there's a lot of technologies that goes into this. Uh, you spoke about virtual reality, yeah. which is one. Sure. Uh, so many components. Sure. How how are we collaborating today? Are these verticals each developing by their own? Yeah. Or are how, are we combining this into one? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think in the beginning, mm-hmm. like most technologies, yeah. they operate in their own little silo because. Yeah. Because there's so many questions. You don't know what you're using it for. You don't know what it can do or what it needs in order to succeed. And the more it matures, it starts to blur. Like I don't, I get really turned off when people say, I have a blockchain solution or I have an AI solution. Mm. That's like telling me you have a wheel when I want a car. Mm. You know, there's so many puzzle Mm. pieces that need to sit together and interplay. Um, And I think you start to see that maturity in a lot of technologies that have had real applications thrown at them when they've gone past that demo stage, when they're no longer used to, I don't know, get people excited at Las Vegas CES or whatever, when they're really in the hands of you and me and you say, guys, I need, I need this problem Mm. solved. And then we look in our toolbox and we mesh them. So um, a lot of what we're doing today is a blend of whether it's AR and AI, and then maybe something with blockchain, it could be, mm. um, do you really need VR for all your applications? Or is it enough with just, you know, a lot of the other things that are available? Yeah. So I think we're getting there. 
as an industry to mm. get the wisdom and the maturity, not to be like the kid in the candy store and be like, I love technology. <laughs> Where can I find a problem for my solution? Oh, yeah. But the other way around and say, all right, all right, I've gotten the hype down. Mm -hmm. What can I do with this toolbox? I like that. Namo was talking a lot about us being people centric yes. with our innovations. Yes. And that's really bringing it back to that. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I guess it's so easy with, I think, all innovation and, and yeah. all science. Yeah. You're, uh, you have your technology, you have your thesis or whatever you're trying to solve, and yeah. you just go that, down that path. Yeah. But we need to share it and yeah. be able to be able to apply it in different yeah. usable fields. Absolutely. Where would you say, and this might be a hard question, we are today in maturity. Mm -hmm. And where do you see us heading in, in using this technology and being wow. connected and... I think it is so far ahead because things are changing faster than they've ever, ever done. I mean, our grandparents have not experienced change as fast as this. Um, and it isn't about new versions of phones or computers or how quickly they come in, but what these tiny devices can do. Oh, you yeah. can you can have enormous processing power on your fingernail or smaller. And we're talking about quantum levels of technology. You know, like that's no longer a pipe dream. This is happening. We're just we're talking about all these fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second. To, to transfer insights and data and relationships. So it's, it's almost happening faster than we can cope as a society. Yeah. Because I don't know if we've had the kinds of conversations that we need in order to ask, what do we do if this works? Mm -hmm. There is a whole ecosystem that we need to think about mm. of if we are landing back on the moon, if there is going to be a lunar gateway um, orbiting platform, which is what NASA have been thinking about, yeah. which is the orbiting kind of platform that might come after the ISS, the International Space Station phases out, yeah. but it's where the next humans from sort of NASA will potentially dock before they then go back to the moon and oh, access yeah. the moon. What will the difference be from the current uh, ISS? Yeah. So the ISS has been around for a very long time. Yes. It's an aging beast. It's one of the most expensive pieces of equipment mm -hmm. that has ever been spent by humans ever yeah, on the planet yeah. and it costs a lot to run yeah. um there are talks about using it for tourism and mm -hmm. charging um rich individuals and again that <laughs> that means you have to be pretty rich and yes. privileged to yes. have that position and and sometimes i'm asked like isn't it a good thing if all these people with money have the chance to see the earth and like see that vision of earth and like because they've got the money they can fix it i'm like that's not fair <laughs> that is not fair like having money yeah. doesn't mean that you shouldn't not have access to space mm. and this is why i love technology because um later in my talk today i've got a video which is what I find very inspiring as a tool, but it really demonstrates how mixed reality, virtual reality, yes. augmented reality can be used to augment a human's experience yes. to not only inspire, but give access. Yes. And, and we need more people to study STEM subjects. And if we can't attract them to learn the skills at school or uni or lifelong learning that we all now need, we're living longer, then then we won't have like an ecosystem of people to help us on what we're trying to scale if we really do credibly want to go back to the moon and Mars and beyond. Yes. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but also, you know, I've had a, amazing opportunities to check out some virtual reality of um, 
docking with the um, like ISS or like being an astronaut on a on a spacewalk, mm -hmm. and it was trippy, mm -hmm. and it was I felt like I was floating. Yes. I felt like, and I was sitting in a chair, but it was an experience that was invaluable to me. And and I'm just I'm already in the space sector. I'm yeah. incredibly lucky to yeah. be in technology that I get these opportunities. These are the experiences that everyone should have access to. Um, and then we can talk about like those beautiful moments that people have when they maybe change their head behavior. Yeah. But I'm a true believer that like, if we can affect mass change in people's behavior, then mm. that's the impact we need to see, particularly if we're looking to protect our planet. Yes. Um, so I'm all for space tourism for sure, yeah. but I just want to make sure everyone has access to it. I like that. And I like how we can use technology and, and spend our, once again, time and money in a better way. So mm. we're developing the virtual reality. 5G will have all of yeah. this and we'll have the infrastructure. So if, even if you're super rich and could go to space, is that well-spent money? Could you put it into something else? Get the virtual version. See, I love that. Yeah. See, and that's, these, are the, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves, right? We will be making this episode exploring different ways of seeing the future. One of the ways and one of the ways that many people choose to see it is fully technological. Mm. It's basically taking our human species and going to another planet mm. to restart mm. or sort of get a new chance or what you would call it. I don't what, what the reason is. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I like Elon Musk because he's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, like we were, I think a lot of people just want to live a normal life, mm. which doesn't have to be a bad thing, mm. but that normal life needs to be just. Mm. Mm. And let's create a just place before we travel to other oh, yeah. planets. Yeah. Um, and I, like, again, I don't think, I think we need technology. Mm. But technology is not the solution. Mm. It is a tool. What's your thought on us becoming a multiplanetary species? So it's two-pronged, right? One is we are explorers. We were never happy with whatever spot of land that we were on. I mean, the Polynesians sailed the oceans, the Vikings sailed the oceans. We've traveled forests and trees. We like to explore. When the world we saw wasn't enough, we started looking at the world we couldn't see and got into biochemistry and life science. And when that wasn't enough, we looked up and started looking at the stars. So that is definitely a blueprint for humanity. Mm -hmm. But the converse is, why are we exploring? If we're exploring to get away from something we couldn't take care of, well, that's that's not sustainable. And what's to say that we wouldn't sort of learn from that, you know, unless we stop. So I think, like with everything else, you know, when you sail away from a port, you're, there's a port to come back to. And that's very important. As we go forward, we need to be able to say we are learning and mobilizing technology to actually sustain life mm. as much as explore new ways of living. And I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I don't see how they would be. So I sort of get that uh, we're talking before the interview about uh, personal development. And it sounds like it's a challenge and you grow with challenges. So this is humanity challenging itself to and that might give us tools in other different situations. Mm. Like we all have a mobile phone in our pocket, right? 
um, so we're all connected to space with those satellites and oh, yeah. GPS. Oh, yeah. But also in some phones, we're using silver or platinum mm. or there's lithium in the mm. batteries. There are only finite supplies of those precious metals on our planet. Yes. And in fact, they're called rare earth minerals for a reason. Yeah. And so, you know, arguments have been made that maybe there's a new ecosystem of asteroids or near earth objects mm. that we can go and mine um, for these materials. Now, <laughs> Number one, that's again, another engineering and science challenge. Yeah. And in fact, last year, the German space agency and the Japanese space agency landed on an asteroid okay. and they've started drilling. Yeah. Um, the technology exists to get to asteroids. We've got that, but it will actually take less Delta V. So the energy it takes to get to an asteroid yes. or near earth orbiting object and back than going to the moon. Mm. So economically, it could be much more viable as a business um, to mine minerals that we may not have access to on our planet anymore and we're dependent on. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm guessing it's um, the balance of innovating and solving problems, but also not creating more problems. Yeah. If we're looking into the future, mm -hmm. what would be your dream, dream scenario of, uh, for humanity? So I discovered that there is a scientific trial that's apparently going to happen on the ISS with a team from India who are looking at a type of moth that consume plastic mm. and they can turn it into something that is way more usable. Yeah. Um, so you take the plastic. And they ingest it yeah. and it turns into something much more usable. Okay. If that, if that works and that technology actually innovates, yeah. I would love to take the plastic that's in our ocean right now yes. and take it off Earth into space in a zero gravity environment. Mm. And if this if this innovation is working and it works in a way that we can repurpose that planet to help us with future exploration on to the moon and use it as part of a supply chain, I'd rather have a circular supply chain and circular economy type model where we're reusing and displacing something oh, that we yeah. augmented and put onto our planet, but in a way that will enable us to move forward and onwards. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of work we need to do in our oceans. Yes. Um, so I'd like to think about how we can deal with everything at the same time. I think I want too much. I think I'm an idealist. I <laughs> want to sell all. plastic in the ocean. <laughs> I want to clean up the environment. I want to make sure the climate crisis is adhered to and also go back to the moon go and, to and think yeah. about Mars. But I think everything is connected, right? Yes. Every every action has a consequence. And so everything has to be connected in a way. Um, so it's, I, I, I like joining the dots between them all in some way. That was what I was going to mm. say. I think the more we can connect things as well, we can easily and better find solutions and collaborations so yeah. if someone's focused on the ocean i'm focused on space there might be some uh, collaboration and there. let me tell you i'm not the expert i'm just asking the questions and finding the experts mm. because they've got that knowledge yes. and i think i think it's quite interesting in history if you look at like leaders and you hear about ego like i think i've done a lot <laughs> the universe has really knocked me down a couple of pegs <laughs> where i'm not there to like lead i'm there to like 
have the conversation and bring the right people together and always have the door open to anyone that wants to join. And that's the one thing I would say to your listeners and subscribers is that if a door is open for you and you can walk in, go in and listen. If you don't want to contribute, that's okay. But walk in through that door because you could surprise yourself with the people you meet, the person you sit next to and always say hello because what's stopping you from you know, discovering something you have in common. We found something in common yes. before. Yes. And that was that was kind of beautiful. I love that. And that's <laughs> a beautiful way of ending this episode. Thank you very much, Nush. Thank, Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Namo, for sharing your perspective and sharing uh, actual solutions of how we can build uh, inclusive and social sustainable societies. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm actually very excited about uh, following the progress of Ericsson One that. and the innovations, and I hope we can find some way of doing that where I can report back. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, that'd Let's be find super fun. That. That'd be great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Learnability Podcast is produced by Levels, working in the fields of digital transformation, innovation, product development, and venture. If you want to know more about us, visit at wearelevels.com. And oh yeah, if you want to find additional material and contribute to the platform, you can do that at learnability.online. That's learnability.online. Looking forward to getting in touch with you. And oh yeah, stay curious.